Hi, it's right before the New Year's Eve. It is party time. That is, under normal circumstances. I've always used to think I didn't like New Year parties. But this year, under lockdown, even I feel tempted. But even if we are stuck home, we can at least talk about good old parties. Yay! <laughs> I'm Nazlan. I am Aigen. This is the Turkish Coffee Podcast party episode. Heyo! <laughs> Due to the corona lockdowns, we cannot throw or attend a New Year party this year. I like it. I don't even need to find an excuse not to go to a New Year party. But isn't it rather joyful to enter the New Year in company of the people you love, even if they are half drunk and totally incoherent by midnight? Of course, but can you be joyful in those New Year parties or in any big party? That's the question for me. You are normally very selective of parties. I'm still sore that you missed my wedding. Well, both my weddings, actually. Oh, Nazlan, I'm not sure I would even go to my own wedding if I had one. <laughs> Though I think even weddings are better than New Year parties. Tell me again, where is this party trauma coming from? Oh, yes, I have a few party traumas, actually. When I first moved to London in 1994, I decided to join the New Year party in Trafalgar Square with a few friends. First, we couldn't find any taxis to the square. We had to walk there and let me tell you, it was quite a walk in freezing weather. <laughs> we entered the square from one corner and tried to walk deep inside the party with the hope of seeing something interesting. We tried to break through the crowds towards the center, but there was no center. There was nothing. People, well, the whole world, was just standing there, looking ahead. And when you looked ahead, you could only see the police announcements written on an electronic board saying, if you lose your child, go to this station. When we realized the party had nothing else, we wanted to go out of the crowd. But it was impossible. Many people were drunk. Some tried to kiss and hug us. It took us hours to get out of the square and we had to walk back the same long road in the same cold. Golly! Since then, I'm convinced that I can have great time with friends any other night. We don't have to do it on New Year's Eve. Since people have very high expectations for New Year's Eves, they usually end up disappointed. Of course, there's a lot of disappointment. But your experience seems a paradise compared to the outdoor parties of the 2010s. You remember that newspapers compared Berlin in the New Year's Eve to a war zone two years ago, with all fireworks flying vertically and horizontally across the city. A boy lost his eye, a man lost his hand. In Turkey, particularly in Istanbul's Taksim Square, which is another party hub, tourists and Turkish women got harassed repeatedly. At one point, the city's security force simply sent the police dressed up as Santa Claus out on the streets, to battle crime. What a genius cover! So no criminal would suspect anything strange when a big red and white object approached him. <laughs> Anyhow. But of course, Nazlan, I know you're a party queen and you are very good at throwing excellent parties where you invite a lot of people and all of them have chance to meet and have fun together. I remember you gave a New Year party last year in an art gallery in Izmir and Izmir had not seen such a crowded party. I also remember the big diplomatic parties you threw in Ankara and even in Brussels. Thank you, that's kind. In all honesty, my favorite party was in 1999 in Brussels. 
we threw in an enlargement party for the journalists and diplomats of the EU member and candidate countries. It was packed and everyone brought their own national drinks and music. I think part of the fun was because it was a time of optimism and reorganization in the EU, with single currency, common foreign policy and with enlargement. Hmm, strangely, all of the candidate countries have access to the EU since then, except Turkey. <laughs> Do you think it was because I had done something terribly wrong as the hostess? <laughs> I think we are generally good at parties. <laughs> Even though I always say that I don't like parties, apparently I enjoy them the most when I get there. In fact, a few years ago, a good friend of mine recommended to me a book by Alexander McCall Smith. The guy first known for his series number one ladies detective agency that is set in Botswana, right? Exactly. But this book called 44 Scotland Street is in the UK. Anyway, to my surprise, my friend said that he thought I resembled to one of the characters there, an anthropologist who gives a warm and artsy house party to her friends at the end of this book and actually in the following 12 volumes of this series. Despite my nagging regarding the parties, that's how he sees me apparently. That's how I see you too. And your salmon with mustard sauce is still remembered in Ankara. <laughs> Maybe I should know myself better. <laughs> it is a pity that COVID-19 put an end to dinner parties, or all sorts of parties really. <laughs> the Financial Times, possibly aware of this longing, made this excellent series where it asks its writers and editors to put together a dream party. You know, invite anyone, dead or alive, and come up with a menu, real or imagined. Any venue, from Paris's La Coupole to a tent in the High Atlas, or a spaceship. So many combinations to think about. My husband and I went through so many scenarios for fun. I finally got him to have Dorothy Parker, the great American satirist on his left, if he can have Sophia Loren on his right. And now oh, do I have to think of mine now? My dream party would consist of maximum eight people so we can have a meaningful discussion. Bigger than that makes me feel awkward. Like people gathered only to eat and drink in the presence of each other. But if you insist on a dream name, I'll go for Lars von Trier, my favorite film director. Good choice. I think the Financial Times is keeping up with a literary tradition, that of the Anglo-American novels, where there are striking descriptions of great parties and rich conversation. Yes, the authors of those books know how to move a narrative forward through dialogue. Sometimes we see rich conversations in those fictional parties, and sometimes unlimited champagne and great entertainment. Jay Gatsby's lavish house parties described by American writer Scott Fitzgerald in The Great Gatsby. I think the author borrowed them from the parties he himself attended, both in New York and in Paris. Literary critics would tell us that The Great Gatsby's parties were just a means to hide his heartbreak under all that glitter, but there is no denying how much fun it would be to attend one. Definitely. Another famous fictional party is the one shown by Mrs. Dalloway, created by Virginia Woolf. That novel follows a day in the life of a Londoner, Clarissa Dalloway, as she makes final preparations for a sophisticated do she is hosting that evening. 
The book climaxes in the gentle success of Mrs. Dalloway's party, where characters from her past and present collide. That's a great idea, isn't it? I wish I had written that book. Reading the Anglo-American literature, plus the French of course, we see how dinner parties have changed over the years and centuries. In the 14th century, both in France and Britain's long tables, there was no way to move the food. The best delicacies were saved for the head of the table. The food became less inspiring, less tasty as you went down the table. And since you did not ask people to pass around this or that, if you were seated next to the carrots and potatoes, they were all you ate. Oh no, yes, but surely, but surely there is no meal, no conversation and certainly no feast without alcohol flowing for everybody. Rather like the devil trying to lure masses with champagne fountains in the springtime ball of Mikhail Bulgakov in the novel Master and Margarita. Sure, not all fictional parties are fun though. Remember the one in Atonement by the English author Ian McEwan? The dinner party starts as a gloomy affair to begin with, but turns into a total nightmare when twin cousins run away and everyone goes on a search mission. In the darkness, one of the girls is raped and a family tragedy unfolds. You know, Nazlan, entertainments going wrong are a common feature of house parties in Great Britain. Not to the extent we read in Atonement, but it was a well-known fact among my friends when I was living there. All nice dinner parties, or even Christmas dinners I attended, ended with a quarrel between friends and family members. But of course, I don't know to what extent these were due to the excessive alcohol consumption. <laughs> I rather think all happy parties are alike, but all unhappy parties are unhappy in their own way. But there are so many ways a party can fail, such as bad food. Or even good food if they are served to wrong people. For example, once I organized a farewell dinner party for an Italian diplomat in Ankara. There were eight guests. It was a summer night. I wanted it to be light, so the starter and the main course included fish. But unfortunately, the wife of the diplomat had a fish allergy. I panicked that night, gave all the salad and vegetables to her, and the others had to survive only with fish and wine that night. They seemed to have fun at the end. But for me, it was such a depressing memory for a long time. And of course, a learning experience. One should inquire about the guests' allergies beforehand. And in the modern times, whether they are vegetarians or not. <laughs> But bad table manners can be irritating too. Oh, what about bad match of invitees? Worse. A friend once told me that the secret of a successful dinner is putting all bores together. They do not know that they are boars, so they have a great time together. In other words, let boars bore each other. <laughs> But too much excitement can also be damaging at a party. Can you imagine shocking announcements, wild conspiracy theories or political disputes? You certainly have a lot of that in Turkey. <laughs> If anyone wants a crash course on what can go wrong at a dinner party, I suggest they read author and composer Zülfü Livaneli's Constantini Hotel. Something goes wrong at dinner at a five-star hotel, no? Everything goes wrong. Livaneli describes a chic gathering and many of the characters are thinly veiled avatars of real people in the city's high society. So there are tensions between old money and new money, high flyers and the downwardly mobile, intellectuals and the self-made rich, men and women. And as you pointed out about English novels, conversation is hilarious. 
Dinner party scenes made a late entry into the Turkish literature. The mixed dinner party came at the turn of the 20th century. Refik Halit Karay, one of my favorite Turkish writers and actually one of the main modernists of his time, talks of a mixed dinner party he attended for the first time at a posh district in Istanbul and how he was immensely impressed by the civilized manner of all and especially chicness of the women. And of course, many novels and memoirs set in Ankara, in the young capital of the Republic, talk of the political dinner tables. Indeed, in real life too, some of them ended badly, with ministers removed and family tragedies exposed. But the most disastrous ends to celebrations are at weddings. Euphoric gunshots in the air, killing of some guests or even the bride and the groom by mistake or due to feud. After all these terrible scenarios, perhaps it's a good thing that we would stay home this year. <laughs> Unfortunately, not everyone feels that way. Many people in Turkey have already booked hotels for the New Year's Eve. How thoughtful! Can we call them five-star coronavirus parties then? <laughs> or the last supper before uniting with Jesus. <laughs> survive last supper before jail. President Erdogan said that there would be tight controls over such parties. Now here is someone who never loved New Year parties anyway. It's precisely these sorts of bands that make people want to rebel. But then, just think, an evening with no pressure, quiet, reflective, bathrobe and a bottle of champagne. Nazlan, at the end of each podcast, you find a way to draw the perverts onto us. I'm telling you again, they'll call us sluts. This time, infidel sluts. <laughs> oh, why can't you just take your book and read as usual? Why do we have to do something extraordinary on New Year's Eve? I'm going to bed now. Happy New Year all and see you next year in our next podcast. Go to bed early, do not exaggerate, it's just another night. <laughs> <laughs>